Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast, powered by Christianity Today and Kairos Partnerships. Well, if you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know that my co-host, Doug, is on sabbatical. And even though Doug is resting, he had a chance to sit down and talk with our mutual friend, Stephen Redden. Stephen Redden is one of the founding pastors of New Denver Church in Denver, Colorado, and he oversees church multiplication efforts. He's also the director of the Church Cooperative in Denver, the local church network that the church helped launch back in 2017. He's a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary and the founder of Third Circle, a consulting and coaching practice where he works with individuals and organizations to maximize their effectiveness. Stephen is married to Kate, and they have two teenage sons, Ethan and Andrew, and his passions include football, he's a big Mississippi State and Denver Broncos fan, and football. Yes, he loves soccer immensely. Stephen and Doug enjoy a wide-ranging conversation where they talk about the vocation of a pastor and how it's changing to become much more bivocational, how to stay healthy as a pastor, and they go into depth about the church cooperative in Denver that Stephen helps lead. Enjoy this conversation with our friend, Stephen Red. Stephen, so glad that you could join us today on the Monday Morning Pastor. Thanks for thanks for coming on. Doug, so glad to be here. Just excited to get to catch up with you and talk a little bit. And yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I really wish we could have recorded the pre-conversation because I think that would have been good. You know, we covered baseball, sabbaticals, all kinds of good stuff. Um, But I'd love for uh, a lot of our listeners may not know who you are. And so can you tell us a little bit of your story, uh, where you are and just ministry and what God's been doing in your life? I know that's a ton of stuff to unpack. But yeah, I'll try to, I'll try to do the, I'll try to get as close to the 30 second version as I can. So I feel like I should say I'm, I'm like the accidental pastor. This is never Mm -hmm. the the place that I thought I would end up um, in life. So going all the way back, I grew up in the faith. So grew up in the South. So you could say I was sort of born into it. Um, I think, you know, where I grew up, culturally speaking, everybody was something. Um, We were Southern Baptists. And so remember praying the prayer when I was 12 years old and walking down the aisle to just as I am. And, um, you know, and that faith, um, you know, is it, through the years, I've, I've sort of processed that beginning and, and the good and the bad of it. I would say in a lot of ways, I'm really grateful that I was introduced to Jesus at a very formative time in my life. Um, the downside was, I feel like <clears throat> the, the tradition I grew up in kind of made the starting line, the finish line. Mm. And what I mean by that is like, you know, once you accept Jesus and you pray the prayer and you're in, um, it kind of felt like discipleship or following became optional. <clears throat> and I, I remember a lot, you know, from my teenage years, a lot of just do's and don'ts. Um, you know, this is not what Christians do, or this is wrong, or, you know, you can't drink or smoke, or, you know, it, yeah. these are all the things you can't do. Um, and yet there was this sort of sense of, but wait, I'm forgiven. I, you know, like, so what, so what, so what is there beyond that? And there just wasn't a really great picture for me of what, what that looked like, uh, you know, a really vibrant, you know, the abundant life that Jesus talked about. I, I just didn't feel like I saw that. So college for me, very stereotypically was um, kind of rebelled against that. I, I didn't lose my faith. I would never say a lot, let go of it. I just walked away from the church. So I was out of church for about 10 years. Uh, went to, I grew up in Mississippi, went to Mississippi State, studied um, engineering, got a degree, undergraduate in computer engineering. 
Um, was very fortunate to have a job on campus and be offered an assistantship, stay, and did a graduate degree, did a master's in business. Um, uh, took a job right out of college uh, with IBM in Atlanta. Um, didn't, didn't know what I was going to be doing. Didn't know anybody in Atlanta. Didn't care because they were paying me so much money. <laughs> um, I was like, yeah, sure. Like IBM in Atlanta, get me out of this you know, small town, Mississippi. Um, I'll take it. So moved to Atlanta. And um, you know, I would say that was where my quarter life crisis happened of like, what is this for? You know, mm-hmm. so uh, I'm, I'm advancing my career making good money, lots of good friends, having a good time. But that nagging sense of purpose and meaning um, never left me. And, and in fact, I began looking around and sort of wondering, where is that? Like, where is, where is life? And had a sense that that was connected to my faith, faith in my childhood. So I began exploring um, churches in the Atlanta area. And a girl I was dating at the time, um, didn't date her for very long, but she invited me to a church. It was a little startup church um, that uh, I had never heard of the pastor, but apparently he was a big deal. His name is Andy Stanley. <laughs> and he was starting this church called North Point Community Church. I was, I came in, um, it, was, it was a couple years after they had started, but they were still, they didn't have their own facility. They were meeting in another church's facility every other week in the evenings. And it was already like 1,500 or 2,000 people. But, um, you know, Andy's teaching, I would say, introduced me to the concept that the Bible is relevant for, for life. Um, so, and in some ways, the first taste of discipleship in the sense of like, he made it practical. You know, um, I just attended on Sundays, I listened and I still laugh when people say like, you know, discipleship doesn't happen in, in, you know, Sunday services. I'm like, well, I got discipled every week, you know, like Andy said, you should read your Bible every day. So I was like, okay, well, I'll get up and read my Bible every day. Andy said, you should, you're part of a church. You should serve. So I was like, okay, well, I'll. I'll volunteer. Um, he said, you should, your money's not yours. You should start giving to the things God cares about. So I did, you know, mm-hmm. this, like, he just made it really practical and said, here's, here's what the Christian life looks like. And, and in that process, I also started, I got in a small group for the first time. And really that just was gasoline on the fire, wow. you know, I think really connecting with some other young guys in their, in their you know, 20s and 30s, trying to figure life out really trying to integrate our faith was just transformative. Um, all the time, you know, my faith is growing and I'm feeling the excitement of that. And, and my job is feeling more and more oppressive. Um, and I think I really, I really had this dualistic way of thinking about the world that, you know, what really matters, you know, as my faith was growing, kind of felt like, well, this work, the work of ministry, of missions or pastoring, like that's the real work. And I'm just doing this nasty secular work. And you know, that's not really that important. So um, in, in class of, classic 20-something reactive fashion, yes. I, left, I left my job at IBM. I uh, took a leave of absence, actually, at first, um, and took a one-year assignment with Mission Aviation Fellowship. I lived in Kazakhstan for six months. No I, didn't even, I didn't even know where Kazakhstan was. They, they just had this project. It was a technology project. It was the early days of online learning. And they were like, you know, we're going to start you in Kazakhstan, and then we'll send you to Russia. It was sort of this former Soviet Union project. So I, I lived overseas for a year. I did did a year, you know, and, and God just sort of blew my doors off in terms of, you know, who he is and what he's doing in the world and exposure to other cultures and, um, you know, just really expanded my horizons and came back from that year. Just a 
to kind of put a time frame on this, I was in Moscow in Russia on 9-11. So I watched that yeah. whole unfold from, from the perspective of being outside the country, which was odd. I was actually, I had a ticket to come back to America September 13th, um, which I didn't make because America was closed for a while. Yeah. Um, so I uh, stayed there for a few more weeks and ended up coming back and wasn't really sure what I was going to do. Uh, I met with my, um, my boss at IBM and I just, I just knew at that point I wasn't going to fit back in that cubicle. Like I just couldn't go back to doing that work, but I didn't know what I was going to do. And um, one of my mentors at North Point offered me a job I'm on staff there. Um, so I took a job at North Point. This is way more than 30 seconds. I'm sorry. Dude, this is great. No, keep going. So, keep going. So, uh, so took a job initially doing support work. So IT, video production, um, basically anything that was sort of tech oriented, supporting our, our, our group life. At this point, North Point had grown. We were multiple services. I think there was probably, um, you know, 7,000 people or so that were attending. No, actually more than that. There was 10,000 people because we had 7,000 people in small groups and we were managing who was in groups in like Excel spreadsheets. They were like, please please, like come and like help us organize this, like get us a database, something. So I did a lot of that work that that first year um, connected with my wife uh, who would become my wife. she, she, she was a friend, a supporter of the year I was overseas. We started dating, got married within a year. Um, and within that first year, I, I, I was still feeling this restlessness, some of which I'd felt in, in, at IBM and that I attributed to, um, you know, just being in the secular world. <clears throat> but then I got into this job working in ministry and still felt like I was unsettled. And my wife was the one who said, you know, you keep talking about being gifted in technology and support, supporting these things, but really what you're, what you're good at is understanding people um, and knowing how to work with and develop people. And the, like the light bulb turned on that if that was true, then working for a church in an IT role was not where I needed to be. So we had an open position working with small groups. Um, I applied for that. Didn't have a seminary degree. My boss was like, well, we don't really care about that. Um, we hired you for your character and your knowledge of um, our system and how we work, you can go back to seminary later if you want to or not. We don't care. Um, we kind of knew you weren't going to stay in that support ro- role for long. We had higher hope for you. So, so altogether, I spent seven years at North Point, um, ended up becoming kind of the director of small groups there. Um, and it was great. But I think there was this growing sense of disconnect between um, some of the, the ways of thinking about life and ministry and church um, that just grew in me over time. And I think there was also a the same, I think, adventurous spirit that got me out of my job at IBM and to Kazakhstan sort of led me towards the entrepreneurial apostolic work of starting a church. And so I began talking to friends and coworkers and um, mentors about that. Um, two friends I worked with um, had also talked about church planting, Norton Herbst and Jason Malik. We all worked together in the same department, North Point. And in 2008, we um, came together and Jason was the first to say, hey, what if we did one thing together instead of three things separately? And so we had already, my wife and I have family out on the West. She has, um, her family's up in Wyoming. So we had um, traveled a lot through Denver and uh, Norton went to Denver Seminary. And so we really quickly landed on Denver as a place. Um, This was, you know, 2008. Um, My joke is kind of like Keller was beating the drum. The cities changed the world. Um, cities are becoming increasingly post-Christian. We need people to move to, move to cities and start churches. We just bought it. We just were, we were all in. 
And so my joke is 2008, the beginning of the Great Recession, we quit our church, quit our jobs at the biggest church in America to send out fundraising letters to self-fund a church plant through friends and family who were losing their jobs because of the Great Recession to move to Denver, a city where nobody wants to go to church, um, to start a church. So terrible plan. So you're saying don't try that, right? No, it's, it's stupid. It's, God is graceful. God is, shows mercy to the stupid, I guess. Um, so here we are 12 years later, New Denver Church was formed from that. Um, you know, uh, Jason took another job with American Bible Society, actually moved to Philly um, for a while, yeah. back in Atlanta now. So he's kind of gone full circle, but Norton and I are still here. Um, our roles changed a bunch. Um, really early on, we, we learned that planting a church in a very post-Christian city that, that, that's going to grow slowly. Three pastors was an enormous gift in terms of uh, uh, giftedness and wiring and, 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 and like the capacities that we had. It was a huge burden in terms of salaries, three full-time salaries for a church plant that was 30 people at our first service. I uh, was just unsustainable. So we went, you know, multi-occupational. I don't like the word bivocational. You only have one vocation, um, one calling. You have many occupations. Yeah. So we took other jobs, a short way of saying that, to kind of support it and have what what started as concession ended up sort of becoming a part of our identity at New Denver. Um, we've never had anyone other than the three of us when we first started uh, who was really full-time, the, the most full-time person we have is Norton now, and he's four days a week. Uh, he teaches at DU and um, does another bunch of other things. So yeah, so that's been a part of our story as well, yeah. multi-occupational. And, and so, but yeah, I'll stop there. That's kind of the new Denver story. That doesn't get to, to, the, yeah. to the church cooperative yeah. or some of the planting stuff we've done, but. Yeah. So first of all, like, thank you for sharing that. And I, I didn't know some of those pieces. Funny story. I swear I met you. I was part of a church that went, we must have done two to three Sundays at North Point. Like, oh, yeah. And I swear the first time I saw you, I was like, I, this guy looks really familiar. When I heard that you worked at North Point, I was like, I guarantee you, I sat down in a room with you at some point in time. If you went to the small group session. Yeah, I did. I had to. Then you, then that was me. That's crazy. Anyway, yeah. sorry. I should have got your autograph back then. <laughs> but no. I think it's really cool because, you know, with all the different transitions, and I really like some of the language that you that you just shared, you know, like it's not vocation, it's occupational and like multi-occupational <laughs> versus bivocational. So like, how would you unpack the pastor that feels really torn? Or like, how would you want to encourage a pastor who's living that right now and just feels like, dude, how do you do it? How do you sustain it? And how do I stay healthy as a person? I don't have any secrets. It's it's hard. <clears throat> you know, I think the reality, the, the, the landscape has changed so much. Um, you know, I think the last 20, I mean, I've, it's hard to believe, but I've, you know, now that's been 20 years since I made that transition from IBM and, you know, moved into ministry. And even in, I mean, in that time, like, it feels like the landscape has changed so significantly. When you talk about the pastorate as an occupation, we talk about the job market, you talk about the open positions full-time with benefits and a pension. Like, it just feels like, at least from where I sit in the churches that I connect with, it just feels like that reality is disappearing. Yeah. The, the pastorate is an incredibly high calling and it's a terrible occupation. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
So, um, you know, we started a, a residency program at the very beginning of New Denver, where we we took, you know, we're taking seminary students and trying to pour into them and help them just sift through what are they good at, what are they not good at, and like what particular part of ministry do they want to move towards. And and one of the big things that that we just realized after a few years of doing it, we really have to talk to them about is this reality of of how will you support yourself like once you finish seminary? Because I think this is changing everywhere, right? Like this is not just seminaries. I mean, colleges and universities have gone through this reality, the social contract, that you get a degree, and then there's a job market waiting to hand you a job when you're done. It, if it's not done, it's mostly done, right? And seminary is like, I think at the extreme edge of that, like where the, there's just no guarantee that if you go to seminary, that that process of, you know, go to Bible college or go to undergrad and then go to get a seminary degree and then you get a pastoral job. I just feel like that's a disappearing reality. That doesn't mean it's wrong. I, I mean, I think if, if, a, if a congregation or community is able to support um, a, a pastor or multiple pastors, it should. I mean, that's a biblical reality. Paul talked about that. I, I have no problem with that. But the reality is that most communities, especially small churches, just don't have that capacity. Or they have the capacity to pay, you know, one full-time pastor who they expect to do everything, which is impossible, which is absolutely impossible. You know, newsflash, nobody gets all the gifts. Nobody gets to be good at everything. Um, I have a good, one of uh, my good friends from, you know, our good friends from Ecclesia, Matthew Shedden. Yeah. He said, you know, it's kind of like being, a, you, you got to be at least a C minus and everything, but like, <laughs> C minus is, is good enough. But if you're going to be a solo pastor, you got to be at least, you know, you got to be okay with being a C minus in a lot of things. Yeah. So, um, so I think that is a tension. And I, I don't know that that's a, when you ask about like, what do you do? I don't think that problem is going away. I don't think that tension is going away. The, mm-hmm. the, the, the reality of figuring out occupation yeah. and income and, the reality of the call to being a pastor. I don't think that tension is going away. And I don't think there's one way to solve it. I mean, we, we've had, uh, we being my wife and I, our family, you know, we've been blessed that, you know, she has had a, a career that she cares deeply about. She's a financial planner and it, it is, it is, you know, a part of her calling, you know, is this, this work to help people to be good stewards of, of their finances. And even when we were having kids, she she scaled her workload back to be primary caregiver, but but she never quit and never exited the job market. And now that our kids are older, you know, her foot's on the gas. She's growing yeah. her own business, and and so so we've just made it work through that, you know, through you know the the the, the shared reality of both of us working. Um, but other people, you know, fundraise, they write books, they find yeah. other work. To support, you know, the, the multi-occupational thing, I think is becoming more of a reality, um, and I think the minority is is and probably will continue to be the full-time paid pastor who, yeah, you know, was once the norm. Yeah, so, yeah, and I and I think part of that is uh, it, it is a it is a reality because so many of us have come to that place where we actually are recognizing that, you know, we have a passion to do this, but it may not be the most uh, lucrative way for us to support our families. And so how do we, how do we hold those tension? What, how do we hold this tension? Well, and I think you guys have done, you've modeled that really well to me, Stephen, I think watching, listening, having conversations with you over years, hearing the way that you process a lot of these different things, um, has been, is just really, really encouraging. But 
you know, one of the things that I'd love to just hear you unpack a bit is like, so knowing that, you know, even when you're just in full-time pastoral ministry, there is a level of like, you know, we'll say uh, there's a level of damage that your soul takes in the midst of that. And so how do, how do you stay healthy as someone who is both, you know, a pastor and also as part of his, you know, his calling is to be a pastor, but also has these other jobs that he's doing. So how do you stay healthy? Like what, what do you do to keep healthy rhythms with the Lord? Yeah, that word, I think, yeah, I think practices and habits. I mean, it's one of our five core values at New Denver is practices because we really, you know, I, I really think, you know, when Paul says, you know, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think, you know, the spirit speaks to the neurobiological reality that we're shaped and formed by our daily habits. Um, you know, Jamie Smith has written a lot about this, about our loves and our affections and how we, you know, how we cultivate those through our daily habits and our choices. And so I think, you know, for me, it's just been, it's been a long, you know, you know, series of, of zigging and zagging and finding the practices and the habits and the things that work for me, the, the rhythms that, that are helpful for me. Um, you know, the reality uh, of that is just having to draw some lines and saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to gonna put up some boundaries and I'll make exceptions, you know, like, so in general, I would say, you know, one of my mentors at, at North Point, uh, John Woodall, he used to talk about living by the Hebrew day calendar, you know, working from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., mm. you know, um, you know and, and when the sun rises and the sun sets, that's, that's kind of your, your boundaries. And then, you know, trying not to work outside of that, uh, setting aside a day that's, that, that's Sabbath, you know, that's really for rest and replenishment. And then, you know, being disciplined enough to hold to that, um, you know, through extended seasons, thinking about, you know, um, extended periods of vacation where you're not actually, you know, working at all, but you're disconnecting, putting the phone down, you're not answering, you know, an email here or there, but you're really disconnecting and working. And then, you know, we were talking before, you know, you started recording the sabbatical idea is something that our elders at New Denver initiated that I probably wouldn't have had the courage to ask for, but every seven years, getting a three-month period to be able to disconnect from ministry, to be able to rest and replenish, but, but also to get perspective. Um, I had my first sabbatical um, in 2015. My next one is next year. And I would say, you know, that, that shaped for me the direction. Um, it, it oriented me to where I was in my journey with the Lord and in my journey in ministry. And, then it, and, it, and it helped reorient me about how I needed to shift for where I was headed for the next seven years. And I think, you know, hopefully the, this next one will do the same thing. So yeah. um, I think those practices and habits, rest, replenishment. Um, the other thing I would say to any pastor is cultivate good friendships, mm-hmm. not relationships with people in your church where you're working. I mean, we know the difference, right? You know, when you're with somebody and it's just, you can kind of breathe easily and, and, and you can relax and it's just friends. And, and yet community is different. Sometimes community feels like we're supposed to be there, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, yep. community, you can, you can have community with people in your, in your congregation who a subset may be your friends, but they're not all your friends. Um, And so it's been helpful for me as a pastor to be able to cultivate those relationships with people um, outside my church. In particular, other pastors have been really life-giving. I have a couple of 
uh, or other people in ministry, just people who understand the weirdness of yeah. the pastoral work. Um, so I, 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 and even that has become a habit. Like, you know, I have people that I do phone calls with or I do lunch with. Um, you know, every week I'm connecting with somebody that's like, yeah. that, that is, it's not negotiable. It is like, it's a part of me maintaining kind of spiritual wholeness. So I just, I make time for it. So every week you set up time with a friend, like just to have space and time with someone. It, so I'm not nearly that organized, Doug, first okay. of all. Uh, it's sort of <laughs> accidental that, like I would say, there's people, I just got off the phone with a friend that um, I worked with at North Point. We used to work, he's no longer on staff there either. And um, we, we, we try to connect monthly, you know, so once a month we have a phone call, we put it on the calendar, it's scheduled. It happens at the same time. And then there are other people that I might only talk to once a month, but they're life-giving. They know, they've known me for years. They are yeah. they're lifelong friends. There are other people that, um, you know, that are pastors or friends in the city who, you know, we make a point of scheduling a lunch every month. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, go, go to a Rockies game together. There was, you know, some guys I went to a Rockies game with last week. And they're just easy to be with. And they just, they, they, they love and care about me regardless of what I do, but they care about what I do and they'll be honest with me. And um, so all of that adds up to, you know, as I fill those spaces that I have that I've sort of set aside for this, that it becomes a sort of a full life and a full schedule of people connecting with people that, that give me life. And, and as a, again, you, you have to do this in a way that, that's, that works for you. The, the, all the introverts are like, God, that sounds awful. Like, I'm, <laughs> you know, or, you know, people are lower verbal or don't like to talk or, you know, you got to find your thing. But for me, life-giving relationships is definitely one of them. So prioritizing them and putting them in my calendar is the only way. I think that's such an important practice. I, I had a conversation a few weeks ago with an old professor friend of mine, and he just, I mean, we, we literally had a 30 minute conversation about the importance of friendships and realizing that, like, especially if, if you're living in a world where, where you're not just a full-time pastor, like I could almost sense in, in you're, you're not a full-time paid pastor, right? Like you're always a full-time pastor, whether, whether you're on salary on the books full-time or not but how having those multiple facets might be one thing that could be easier or even more difficult to maintain healthy friendship. So I guess it probably just depends on making sure that your calendar is set up well. And so one of the things that I've also loved about you, Stephen, is your, your love for other pastors. And you, like a couple of years ago, I remember having a, I don't know if it might've been a Zoom call or maybe it was a Google Hangout, something. Before this is all we do, it was, you were telling me about this thing called Church Cooperative. Yeah. And so it just was something that I thought was really unique and interesting. And I would love to hear you kind of share the story of that and yeah, just your vision and your heart behind it and the food of it. Yeah. So coming out of my first sabbatical, one of the things that <clears throat> I feel like God really clarified was that, um, that I was to spend the next season really investing in other pastors, but in particular, you know, the next generation of pastors that were, were coming behind because of, the, I think, the difficult realities of, of 
the, the occupation of pastor. Like I, I really wanted to, to try to do what I could do to create opportunities. So I pushed really hard coming off that sabbatical. We had, we had talked from the very beginning about wanting to be a multiplying church, wanting to plant churches, but it had never become a reality because what we saw of church planting at North Point and other big churches was you grow your church and you get big. And then when you're too big, you figure out a way to like carve off a group of people who are driving too far and you start a church over there and you help them get started. And maybe it's a campus, maybe it's one church with any location, you know, like that, that's, that's been a very, the multi-site thing has become, you know, quite popular. So we had this idea that we need to get big before we can plant. And that just, that's never been our story. We've never, like, we've just been this slow, steady, like progression of growth. I mean, we're still, um, you know, a couple hundred people on a Sunday. So, and room to grow in, in, in one service. I mean, we have room in our, in our, in our own building to be able to accommodate more people. And so there was this sense of like, well, God, what was that vision for, for investing in, in church planting about? Are we, you know, was that just us? And I, I really felt like on my sabbatical, the Lord kind of asked me the question, what else do you need that you don't have? You have, you have more, you know, we, we're in a better financial position, so we have more money. You've actually planted a church now, so you actually know something about it. You have more connections and relationships in the city. Um, what else do you need? And, and it was this light bulb moment of, of if we invest in the people who are going to do it anyway. There, there's so many people. Planting has become so ubiquitous. It's just the free market economy of America has just imposed itself on the church. And everybody, you know, um, has moved into church planting. And part of, partly because there's no jobs, right? So if there's no jobs. What am I going to go do? I'm going to mm. go start a church. So um, and I think that's that's been a great movement of God, like that that a lot of good things have happened in it. But I think there was this sense of what if we came alongside a church planner who's going to do it anyway, uh, and and somebody who's like minded and somebody who has this uh, compatible values, but is going to create a community that's different. It's going to engage people in a way that New Denver wouldn't. What if we helped them financially? What if we gave them coaching and development and walked alongside them for a period of time and then you know, launch them to be their own church, no strings attached, no, like you're, you're part of the new Denver, like you're new Denver North or new, De like we're not going to do that. Like we believe yeah. in, in, in context and in, in individual leaders creating communities that they were called to. So we, that came first. And then from that, the question is, well, what will the relationship be? And the idea was, well, what if churches could hold their individuality and their, their autonomy but still collaborate and cooperate and work together. So what if we were able to launch these churches, just like having kids, right? Like you want a lot of hands-on and you a lot of, a lot of shaping and guidance, but at some point they're going to go off on their own, but you still hope they come home and you have an adult relationship. Maybe yeah. you learn from them. So we kind of thought, well, let's create a context for that. And that became the church cooperative of Denver, which is this idea that, that independent, like independent and denominational churches um, that, that operate, autonomously um, can come together and collaborate and cooperate when we have enough um, shared vision and values and theology to be able to say, Hey, we, we're all better when we all succeed. So let's work together. And so the initial thought was, we'll do that with the churches we help plant. But what we found was there was a number of other churches, the denominational and non-denominational and planters that were coming along that just needed a place uh, to be known to be understood, to be supported, to be helped, and to share resources and know-how and to help each other. So we've been doing mm -hmm. that for 
uh, since 2017. So four years now, we've got nine churches that are a part of that. And it's grown relationally through people who um, find us through mutual relationship and identify with the idea. And frankly, if it grows, that's that'd be great. But I'm not looking to start another denomination. It was very yeah. much scratching our own itch of wanting to collaborate and cooperate with other churches. So yeah, so we're so we're doing that as well. So well, that became a piece. I gave away some of my New Denver time to kind of dedicate to that. And I'm basically one day a week working on trying to, you know, network with other pastors and connect them and support them in whatever ways I can. So I think that's really wise, Stephen, especially thinking about how one of the things that I've heard from many pastors is, you know, and we've talked about friendship is the the loneliness, you know, and especially as a planner, because it's like, not only are you off on your own, but you're crazy and your denomination thinks you're crazy and they're not really supporting you all that much. And so it's, it can be a really hard space to be. So what's a story that you feel like would be one that just really encompasses like that vision or something that just in the last year or so where you're like, man, this is, this is when we're, this is when church collaborative was at its best. Yeah. You know, I think the cooperative brought us all to our knees in terms of just the anxiety of, gosh, I don't know, like, how do we navigate this? What do, what do we do? And, um, you know, I think denominations, you know, provided some help in that church, ne- national church networks provided some help with that. But I think because, you know, we have this monthly meeting once a month, all of our pastors come together. Um, we're learning together. We're, you know, we read books together. Um, so there's some shared learning components, but there's always a time where I ask the same questions. Um, what's going well in your life or in your ministry um, that you want to celebrate and share? Um, what's not going well um, in your life or in your ministry? Um, and how can we help? So that, that is the framework. So, so when you, you have multiple years of that with people who've built trust mm. and shared you know, challenges in their marriage, challenges with their, with their co-pastors or with their staff, challenges with their elders. I mean, we, 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 it's, it's a relation, relationship building process, right? Like people have to build trust, but when that gets built over the time, over time, and then the pandemic happens and you're not sitting together with a denominational group that you never connect with. And again, already thinks you're kind of weird. These are people that are like-minded, like they're in the same city as you. So they're dealing with the same governmental restrictions you are. Um, they're navigating maybe different realities of their community and what their political persuasion was and what the tension they were feeling around that was and masks or no masks. And what is the governor saying we can do or can't? Like just to be able to have a group of, you know, eight or 10 people that like were getting, I mean, the beginning of the pandemic, we were meeting, you know, we were meeting every week just to say like, how have things changed? What are you doing? We were sharing you know, stories about technology we were using to get online, how we were going about, you know, when it became a hybrid situation of in-person and online, how are you doing that? Um, with, with some struggles or frustrations you've had, just sharing best practices and trying to help each other be better. I feel like the, the cooperative really, um, like all that, in, that relational work just, just paid off in terms of creating a space and some relationships and connections to be able to help each other through what was you know, a generation-defining event for all of us in ministry. Yeah, seriously. So I think that's such an important that's such an important thing. And I wonder how many pastors are listening, thinking, "Man, I w- like I don't know who who I would call that gets that gets me to that level, right?" Like, yeah, I mean, 
there might be some theological overlap if I'm part of the denominational network, but to actually understand context and like really kind of this understanding that we're all in it and the nuanced version of that. Like I remember having a conversation with a pastor who's not, you know, in, in a, in a state that's close by, but not super close by and just made this comment, like, wait, you guys are actually struggling. Like some people don't want to wear masks in your church. <laughs> I was like, like it was just it was an interesting conversation just thinking like wow i've never like it's just different right and so but because we're we're in the process of developing this relationship it took a little bit of time to get to that point where it, like it wasn't just like a you know like head cocked to the side sort of like what just happened um yeah so like with that i mean you know are you noticing um like health in like coming out within your pa- the pastors that are part of the cooperative yeah i think i think that might be the maybe the greatest measure is i think if you look at their churches you know most of them are smaller churches which is one of the the kind of the identifiers or the values of we we just believe in a communal ethos that churches that grow should look to multiply that there's a sense that once you start getting too large that it compromises that communal ethos so most churches they're either church plants that are you know under a hundred um, or there are existing churches that are like, you know, 100 to 500. All of our churches are less than 500 people. Sure. Um, and so I would say, regardless of all of that, regardless of how many people they have in small groups or what their budget is, or like probably the thing that I would say is uh, like maybe most beneficial about the, the, their connection to the cooperative is their relationship. Like I, I think it helps them stay healthy. And as I think about the people um, in the cooperative, now we've had some people that that have burned out and even churches that have closed and I think we tried to support them as best we we could um through that so it's not to say it's a perfect environment but I think the people who participate who regularly gather together open up their lives talk about what's going on I think they're healthier because of it That's whether awesome. that translates into more people in their church or you know some of the tangible things you would count I, I think they're healthier I think they're healthier as people because I just think it's a good practice to, to do, to do this kind of work, to, to, to be able to have people that you can talk to and, and be understood and share and gain knowledge and input and learn from other people. Um, I just think that's a beneficial practice. So I would say more than any tangible thing of how big we grow or how big our churches are, like, I think the relationships help the pastor stay healthier. It's been a learning, like we started this and I, I still, call it a church network. It's a pastor's network. We, we've had pastors who, you know, who are part of our church that were interim pastors and they participated for a while and then they didn't get the, the full-time job. And, and so that church isn't part of the cooperative anymore because the new pastor really didn't value it in the same way and, and opted out. Mm. And so I've, I've just learned it's more than anything. It's a pastor's network. Yeah. Gotcha. I think it really takes an, an apostle to think through you know, leaving, leaving a very large church in the middle of a great recession and then starting this network, um, you know, what encouragement would you have for other apostles who are out there just listening this morning, thinking through, you know, just probably being encouraged by this, but what would be an encouragement you would have for them? Yeah. I mean, as I look back, um, I think there was at a point an intimidation that like, I didn't know enough or I didn't, like I didn't, um, I needed to know more. I needed to have more experience, or like that, 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 
that somehow or another, everybody in the world who does these things has, has it figured out before they do them. And that's just not the way the world works. Like, mm. like being a, an adult means you just step into uncertainty and ambiguity all the time. And I think what makes people an apostle or an entrepreneur, whatever you want to call that, that wiring and gifting is that, you know, we, we take those tentative steps out into uncertainty and we realize we don't die and it's actually kind of exciting. And then it just sort of builds and you just, then you, you know, then you have to deal with the other side, which is like, sometimes, you know, giving birth to a baby is fun, but like raising a kid is hard, you know, <laughs> starting things is fun. Yeah. Like developing systems and you know, like that, that's a discipline and that's harder. And this is part of that. Like it takes all gifts. So to the apostles specifically, I would say, just take those steps out. Like it, it, it's going to feel scary at first. You're going to feel like you don't, you don't have all the answers. You'll figure it out. Like you, you'll, you know, it's intimidating until you do it. And then you realize, you know, the whole process of starting a church is like, oh my gosh, like how do you form with the state? And you know, what is a 501c3? And how, and then you do it and you're like, well, that, that wasn't impossible. That was, yeah. you know, in fact, like, let's, let's keep doing that. That was, that wasn't that hard. We can help. Like, that's the easy stuff. Like it's these huge barriers. The learning curve seems steep sometimes to initiate or start things, but you just have to have people who are willing to crash into that, that, and, and, and be willing to look at, look at success and failure in a way to say like trying something and it not turning out the way you, you thought it was going to turn out isn't failure. Like that's, that's just learning that that's the way that learning takes place. And so my, my kid, so we're, we're all uh, skiers and snowboarders in my family because we live in Colorado and kind of have to be right. Yeah. It's sort of, well, it's sort of required. <laughs> or do you got to do something outside? You got to mountain yeah. bike, hike or climb mountain. You got to do something. Our thing is skiing and snowboarding. Nice. And I have to say, since my kids were little, they would fall and they would be upset. And I would say, Hey, if you're not falling, you're not trying hard enough. Like you're not, you're not falling. Like, and so they say that back to me now it's become this thing of, you have to take in life, you have to take some risks life, mm. you know, to, to, to enjoy the benefits of, of, of living a full and flourishing life means stepping out and being willing to have things turn out in a way that you didn't expect. And mm. I think apostles are just wired to do that more and more. And they, and they just sort of are energized by, it. I am. So yeah. I guess that makes me an apostle. I don't. No, I, I think we can say that. Uh, uh, you're probably, and then maybe we'll jump into picking your Enneagram type just for fun. No, yeah. just, we won't do that. Um, Stephen, <laughs> been super good being with you today. Thank you again for your time. Um, do you have any last parting thoughts you'd like to bestow on the Monday morning pastor folks? The work of being a pastor is hard, but we need, we need more people. We need the best and the brightest and uh, of the body to step forward into this uncertainty and yeah it, it feels like it unlike any time in history and and there, there's never been more need for for people to persevere through the challenges of being pastors the the, the church there's so many opportunities right now uh, but it's not easy mm. so don't give up persevere hang in there good word man all right steven mm -hmm.